0: Hey, hey! Welcome to Episode 4 of the Karma Sense Wellness Foodcast. I'm Davey H. If I was more clever, I'd call this episode the Dr. Fermento Show. But I'm not that clever, so instead we're going with food as medicine. Food is medicine. It's not a new concept. 2,500 years ago, Hippocrates of Hippocratic Oath fame said... All disease begins in the gut. And Karma Eating Plan readers know of my affinity to Thomas Edison. With all his inventions, I love his quote about the future of medicine most of all. He said, The doctor of the future will no longer treat the human frame with drugs, but rather will cure and prevent disease with nutrition. Another more specific quote along the same lines is from Jacob Cox. He's a U.S. Civil War general, on the correct side, and author of Military Reminiscences of the Civil War. In that book, he described his camp's battle with scurvy and other diseases. After a long winter, his men's spirits lifted as they received a large shipment of pickled cabbage. In Reminiscences, he describes the delivery this way. No luxuries ever tasted so well as these plain vegetables. Our physical condition craved them and they were food and medicine at once. The sauerkraut was finely shaved cabbage laid down in a brine, and a steaming platter made the paste de resistance of our camp dinner as long as it lasted. The health of the whole camp was restored, and we were hard as nails. Isn't the Foodcast great? All you were missing right there was a Civil Warrior photograph to stare at, and it'd be just like you were listening to a Ken Burns documentary. In this episode of the Foodcast... We examine the concept of food as medicine. I rant about probiotics and how you can save a crap ton of money. Then I interview Patient Zero, a man who cured his heart disease through the medicine of food. Finally, Patient Zero and I go on a fermented food scavenger hunt. Find out what we uncover. But first, rant. Your gut is full of bacteria that have a vested interest to keep you alive. Collectively, they're called your microbiome or your gut flora. Some stuff we do in the course of our lives is really bad for the little critters. Stress, antibiotics, too much processed foods. Our knowledge of the role these guys play continues to grow. It makes sense to most of us that the food you eat affects the bacteria that live in your intestines. But did you know it's a two-way street? That your microbiome affects your appetite and helps determine the foods you crave? Did you know that exercise affects your gut bacteria? and that your gut bacteria also affects your exercise. Or that gut bacteria have a hotline to the brain through the nervous, immune, and endocrine systems. If you disrupt any of those circuits, for example, through stress or diet, it can lead to all sorts of health complaints. And there's growing evidence that a healthy gut and possibly probiotics improves the mood of both depressed and non-depressed people, as well as support weight management, chronic disease prevention, and on and on and on. Still, we're in a position of ignorance. When it comes to the bugs in our gut, we have a strong idea who the good and bad guys are, but we're not sure it's the same for everybody. And although we know that a gut that's populated with a diverse representation of bacteria is better than one that's the belly's equivalent of a segregated, gated community, we know almost nothing specific about how them fellers interact with each other or with those other factors that drive our health, especially our genes and our physiology. Finally, there's little proof that probiotic foods and supplements do anything sustainable for our health. As I said, we're ignorant, but that doesn't stop food and other health-related companies from exploiting this ignorance. Sure, there's the pills they want us to buy, but probiotic peanut butter cups, toothpaste, and artificial sweeteners, That's over the top. Rather than buying these pills and processed foods that make promises they can't keep, save your money and eat fermented foods, prebiotic foods, and whole foods. Fermented foods repopulate your gut with the good guys. They include General Cox's beloved sauerkraut, kimchi and other fermented vegetables, miso, yogurt, soft cheese, kefir, and sourdough bread. When you're buying these, watch out for crap ingredients that may be tossed into these products. If the label says it's pasteurized, then the bacteria you're eating is already dead and useless. Vinegar in the ingredient list is also a telltale sign that the bacteria is no longer there. Next, there's prebiotic foods. They keep the healthy buggers in your intestines in top shape. They include sunchoke,s dandelion greens, garlic, leeks, onions, bananas. The greener, the better barley, oats, and asparagus. In the case of prebiotic vegetables, eat them in both their cooked and raw form, if you can, so your gut gets some variety. Finally, there are those reliable whole foods. Those are the foods from your store or garden that don't have ingredient labels. You know what they are. If you have a doctor who tells you to do more for your gut, such as taking a probiotic supplement, first of all, wow. It's amazing that you have a doctor with such an open mind. Second, ask a lot of questions. Keep an eye out for affiliate marketing schemes. Third, follow the advice, but hold your doctor accountable. And I'm not perfect with this advice either. I'm the guy who spent two bucks a pill on doctor's orders for probiotics when neither the doctor nor I had any evidence that it does anything other than amuse me for a few minutes after I dropped the dry ice it's packed in into our toilet. One more thing. Next time you're having a hankering for some ultra-flavorable processed crap, try this instead. Go into your refrigerator or the cooler you keep in your office. Pull out the jar of fabulously funky and flavorful fermented food you found at the farmer's market. Zone out on its colors and textures for a while. Open up the jar and breathe in its aromatic sourness and spices and slowly crunch an ice-cold forkful into your mouth. Let the aftertaste work its way across your taste buds. Go ahead, have a few more forkfuls. And as you finish that snack, let me congratulate you. You just ate the best tasting, low calorie, nutrient dense snack of your life. And you fought back a craving for bacon and ranch flavor chocolate covered cheese puffs. I put links to all sorts of possibilities to support this experiment up on the show notes. Hello, I'd like to welcome to this podcast, Patient Zero. He's also known as Bernard Rubble, Tim Bacay, Mrs. H's cousin, and therefore mine. He's a friend, a teacher, he loves food as much as I do, and he's an Ohio State Buckeyes fan. what I miss, Tim?
1: I'll tell you, it looks like you've covered me pretty well here. Um, definitely the idea of teacher and Ohio State Buckeyes fan is what's dominating my, uh, my days uh, so far here as we head to the end of August.
0: So most of the, the uh, various uh, labels I gave to you are self-explanatory, certainly your name and your relationship and, and uh, what you like. There's a few that are not, and one was patient zero. We'll get to that in a minute. But uh, how'd you get the name Barney Rubble?
1: My fraternity, Ohio West, was a Phi Kappa Psi, and I had an old document that my father had uh, given me, and uh, the floorboards were rusting out, and you could actually see the ground beneath your feet at the, at, in the car. And uh, my fraternity brother's uh, nickname is uh, Barney Rubble, as in the Flintstones, running your feet. On the ground, to get your car started.
0: So it was. Uh, it, it <laughs> so it was a comment on your car, not the size of your feet or your love for Bronto <laughs> Burgers.
1: Exactly. Well, I'll tell you, I, I do love a Bronto Burger, stuff, but uh, <laughs> one of those fun nicknames. I think we all tended to have nicknames in our fraternity, and even today, when we contacted each other, uh, we uh, we still call each other by our nicknames. So it's pretty funny how something will stick for thirty years.
0: Uh, as someone who's referred to as Davy e. H., I, I can relate. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so your teacher, what and who do you teach?
1: I have seventh grade history students, and um, it's great. I pretty much am teaching a Western Sith course um, to these guys, and I've taught history for the last um, 27 years. And, um, it's at some age group, um, 12 and 13 year olds, and they're still quite willing to, and to learn, and the, the minds are still open at that age. Um, just a lot of positive energy, um, at the seventh grade level. And people ask me, it's like, how can you teach kids at that level? And I say, well, this is when the mind is open, they're positive, they're happy, um, the world hasn't, you know, stomped on them yet. Um, that's, a, that's a good thing.
0: And at, at that age, they don't quite know everything yet.
1: I did a few that certainly, you know, you know where they're headed in a great direction. And it's nice to see uh, these kids, whether they're practicing law or medicine or uh, they go on to become school teachers. It's uh, it's a blast when you get to teach with one of your former students. And I've got five within the school system that have, you know, I've had uh, my sister Robin and brother Tucker that they've had us and they're teaching now. So something had rubbed off and something had gone well in this. Educational process. It's, it's a lot of fun when that
0: happens. Moving on to patient zero. You uh, a year or so back had a sudden health emergency. What was it? Um, I came very close
1: to having a heart attack. I had uh, chest pain throughout the week, and this was just right after the state testing had gone through, and it was a pressure-filled week. I had the classic signs of, of you know a heart attack coming, you know that there was imminent. And the, the chest pains were, were there and I, I was kind of flabbergasted. I, I kind of ignored them. I, I took a, a couple aspirins thinking that, you know, maybe I've got the flu, maybe, you know, no way at 51 years of age am I experiencing a heart attack type of thing. I was down in Columbus, I was mowing the lawn and a small little lawn that I mow down there and it, I was out of gas and had to stop halfway through, sat down, had a glass of water. And it was it was just really interesting to, to, to see that. And um, the next morning, Julie and I uh, had a discussion of why I was so grumpy. And finally, I, I admitted that I had chest pains. And she goes, "Well, you, you big dummy, you got to tell people and you don't feel well." And I said, "Well, oh, I'm, I'm embarrassed." And uh, we went over
0: to an urgent care. They uh, took the EKG, and you know, I was off the charts.
1: Blood pressure was terrible. Um, they took me right over to Riverside, and uh, from there uh, we did a stress test, and then they decided uh, that uh, I had blockage in one of the main arteries, one of the descending aortas, I, I believe, and they went in and uh, put two stents in uh, to open me up. And uh, an interesting experience uh, to go through that.
0: Uh, how, how long ago was that, and how old were you?
1: This um, I was 51 when it happened, and it was in late April.
0: And uh, the, any indication from your physicians that the the aspirin that you took may have helped?
1: Yeah, uh, they were amazed that you know I just didn't have much of a medical. Um, I like guess but they said was a good thing you did take an aspirin. They were they were too interested in, in trying to figure out why I had blockage and if I did need the step. Um, I guess there was quite a bit of a debate if I even needed the procedure, but uh, they said anything that it was, was coming up with um, over 50% blockage, they, they recommended that a stent uh, relief was needed.
0: Hey, you got a little bit into this. Uh, what was your what was your life like before that? How, you, you talked about never missing a day of work. How active were you? Certainly, a
1: lot of walking and uh, you know the. When we have snow up here, snowshoeing in the winter. Um, you know, I was doing two mile walks and feeling pretty good for the most part. During the school year, you just, you feel really run down after a while. And, you know, you, a lot of it, say, wow, I just finished the state testing. Um, you're run down, you're tired, you know, and that's what I was kind of accounting for it all. And stuff. But the, when I look back at it, the biggest thing that, that I put myself into jeopardy, I was way overweight. I was 200, 240 pounds. You know, I was asking for it uh, in that end.
0: What were you? What was your normal diet like back then?
1: I loved to cook, and uh, the diet that contained grains. Um, that was the. Uh, I was eating probably a, a half a box of crisps a day, just because I, I just addicted to them. And um, it was amazing to you know to have that appetite for crisps and thinking that you know because it had a, a heart healthy label on it. And, uh, you know, I laugh at that balance Up, I said, oh, if it's got this heart label on it, gee, that's got to be healthy. Then I had it, you know, every holiday, there were everything from Christmas cookies to Halloween candy. My big addiction was M&M's. Um, any flavor of M&M's, but there was something in a bowl connected to that holiday. And so, you know, there was a Halloween bowl, a Thanksgiving bowl, a Christmas bowl, um, St. Patrick's Day bowl, Easter bowl. You know, I was just coming out of Easter, and, uh, you know, this big bowl, and when you live by yourself, but yet you have people come over to visit, you know, it's like, gee, I, I was, it turns out I was the only one sitting these bowls of M&Ms off, and so I was, you know, I was matching that, but it's funny, my diet, I'm. Uh, it, it had the wheats and the grains, the legumes that were in it, and I, I'm sure that, that, you know, compounded why my weight, and probably the pressure on my body and stuff was, was was compounded by that.
0: And this this was kind of a continuation about how you always ate all your life and you've always been active and robust and <laughs> and it just was catching up to you.
1: Definitely. I think I think falling into that age group and stuff, uh, what was healthier, what was, I was able to handle in my 20s and 30s, maybe even my 40s, I imagine by my 40s and stuff, things were catching up to me and that weight was, was, was getting um, really... Really out of control. Interesting enough, I had very little fast food. You know, if I if I got to McDonald's once a year, um, maybe Panera, um, I might have stopped in a few times. Um, but uh, the biggest thing is that my diet—it it had way too many grains and uh, lots of pasta. didn't that were causing lots of sugars.
0: Right. Um, and to be prevalent you, And you saw you you uh, saw the uh, heart healthy. Labels and, and research even shows now that when people see labels like that, they actually end up eating more of whatever it is. Your actual experience in the hospital about a week—it it, was—it was a wonderful experience, and you can't wait to go back again, right?
1: Oh, oh God! One of the most terrifying things, embarrassing things. Going through the, the stress test, and then the, you know, I'm sitting next to people that are 80, 90 years of age, and one of the guys turned to me and says, "Sonny, what are you doing in here?" And I go, well, they're worried that I had a heart attack. At You're raised age? I said, I know. You know, I, I never wanted to go back into another hospital again. And uh, it was amazing, though, some of the people that were coming through and checking up on you. And the funniest story is, is the nutritionist coming in from the hospital and giving me the whole scale of the food pyramid, and it was loaded with grains. I just, and I'm looking at this, and I'm looking at the food, and, I didn't know much about a grain-free type of diet yet but I, I I think back now about the lady coming in and telling me how to eat and you know
0: yeah that's but. that's amazing I think uh then uh, the food pyramid wasn't even in use anymore uh it was it's now my plate which still has grains squarely in the in the plate oh God. yeah what were your doctor's instructions at discharge
1: it was interesting. Um, they wanted the blood pressure taken. They wanted to make sure that I was on sticking to my medicines. Uh, they wanted me exercising. And so I thought, you know, that's reasonable. The, uh, the biggest thing is they say, you know, you can't miss this first round in this first year and the first few months. You can't be missing these meds that we're about to put you on. We, we need to stabilize your heart. Um, those were the big directions. They talked about controlling of weight. They thought that uh, possibly there would be a good chance that I would lose weight. Um, I I was down 20 pounds um, within the first the first month uh, after the procedure. So I thought that was interesting, because the body was working better. Yeah, the the doctors' directions were I, the only guys I had was a. Uh, um, cardiologist. I hadn't established a, a relationship yet with a, a regular practicing doctor and then I eventually uh, found one
0: in Mansfield and but, you. But you uh, there are a lot of confounding factors. You were going through some major lifestyle change that did an operation on <laughs> you. Uh, you were c- recovering from that. You were on uh, a variety of meds, but you quickly lost a significant amount of weight. Uh, almost, yeah. almost 10% of your, your weight, uh, just from that, No, From, from that, that first,
1: that, that first month was real interesting. And it was about, really within the first week that I had left the hospital that my sister got hold of me and she says, Hey, I've got this wonderful, you know, idea and stuff of what you could do. Um, we have a cardiologist that, uh, is, he's recommending grain free and, uh. So he was my starting point with this uh, uh, this diet.
0: How many medications did the they put you on at discharge?
1: Clavix with all heart and scent patients.
0: So it, then they went
1: beta blockers with metoprolol and then like Sinopril. And then the fourth, the big fourth was statin, um, Lipitor. And then the, the fifth was the aspirin
0: how did all how did that uh, make you feel taking all those drugs both just mentally um it's
1: it's really at times frustrating for the uh, the weakness of the muscle the dizziness um sometimes upset stomach you know i listened to the doctors and i said okay i'll give this you know a try this is what you know you guys are recommending for heart patients and they said the biggest, most important ones was this clavix because they needed to strengthen the uh, aortal wall that had been so weakened. And so where my stents are, clavix, um, I'm told, makes it like a nonstick skillet. <laughs> but you're only on that for a year. I certainly don't think that the medicines are the way to go. I mean, it's, to me, it's, it's got to be a diet change.
0: Okay, and that's a great segue. Finally, we can... Uh... Unless you get into the, that part. So you decide to go beyond your doctor's instructions, and you've said that you saw grains as a, uh, you were learning that grains may have been a big contributor to the problems, and, and grains yeah, were a big in- part of your life before that.
1: Yeah, in- inflammation was the thing I was finding out that whether I had inflammation in my heart or inflammation in my brain or all these things to try to start to get the body to work in its normal order. Um, was coming down to diet, and it wasn't going to be the medicines that were going to be the the great saviors. It was going to be the food. And had gone through the space here. Um, first, it was wheat belly, and then looking at other people that were going through it. You know, whether it was hearts or they had other health problems. Um, a lot of people with celiac finding lots of wonderful online chefs. That were you know that were recommending grain free patterns, and there was a, a ton of food that opened up, in it. and suddenly that made a, a huge difference. Just the, the quality of the way you know I was feeling, and suddenly once the grain free path was coming out, towns um, were, were dropping, you know, mm-hmm. rather quickly.
0: You're still a young man. You have a, a health emergency you're given conventional mm-hmm. medicine to address it you see that the conventional medicine is kind of conflicting with how you want to live your life anyway you don't want all the side effects you don't want to be dependent exactly. on the drugs so you decide to make some changes and you you use the strength that you have which is your knowledge and love of food and uh, convert it around to make sure that you're eating in a more healthy manner exactly
1: and it, I think that one of the big breakthroughs on Memorial Day weekend that was my third visit to the cardiologist. He was amazed of my record of blood pressure. He was amazed by my weight loss, and he was very interested. I'm, I'm kind of psyched to talk to him. My next visit is not until November, but he said you're kind of reversing your your symptoms and what people are going through, and you're doing it through diet. So he thought it was really interesting. Um, but this was the, the key point is that he took me off. Plavix, metoprolol, my sinupril. The big question now is: if does, does he have the guts to take me off my stat. I'm probably going to tell him that I'm not—you know—the cholesterol is the least of my worries on this diet. And the last thing is I need is a statin to control cholesterol. That'll be a good conversation.
0: It, it will be, and it's great that you're. A lot of people are not willing to look at their physician as a partner in their own health. They, yeah. they look at the physician as all-knowing. All powerful being and just follow the instructions. And the physician isn't really encouraged to spend the time with the patient and learn about the patient. Yeah. Uh, But uh, I believe that most physicians take that job because that's exactly what they want to do. So, how difficult was it to make those changes?
1: Changing to a grain free was really not terribly difficult because for my love of cooking, I had all the basics and just reading through different pathways of how so many of these brain free paleo, keto methods are going. I said, wait a minute, I'm doing 95% of that. It's just, you know, don't eat your pasta, don't eat your bread, don't go into the lagoons. There's still so much good food. And I, the biggest thing is that my love of fish. I eat salmon, sword, haddock, you know, as much as a um, saltwater fish that I can get a hold of. You know, I'm, I'm eating fish probably four times a week. Some days or some weeks, if I'm lucky, especially if I'm in Columbus, I could, I could have six days of fish.
0: And you weren't eating a lot of uh, fast food, as you said. But certainly another side effect of eliminating all those grains was just getting processed food in general out of your diet. It sounds like you're eating a lot of whole oh, yeah. foods. yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, the, the boxes of Triscuits disappeared. Uh, the M and M's disappeared. Ice cream is pretty much disappeared. That's a, that's a difficult one.
0: That's a tough one. Um, <laughs> a,
1: the toughest one was Jenny's ice cream. And I, if I do have, you know, a spoonful of something, it might be a Jenny's. I I tend to stay away from the sugar spikers. I, I just, there's, there's, there's there's little things you can eat, and you you are allowed um, going with chocolate and cocoa powders. Once you get that. Uh, Cacao levels um, over 75%. Then you can have these little nibbles and stuff. Right. Most of the time I find chocolate bars uh, that are 80%, 80 to 90%.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, you, and most people tend to find that as they start to eliminate all those extra carbohydrates from their diet, they stop craving them as well. Sounds hard to many people to do. And it actually is hard for many people to do it. You, you're saying it was relatively easy for you. But once you do it for a little while, it, not only is it easy, you almost don't want them anymore. The,
1: the need for that, everybody said you, you go through a withdrawal. And I said there was about a month of withdrawal for the bread, but I was always replacing it with some type of new exciting recipe. That was the huge kind of turn-on for this, that luckily I was a food addict, but I knew how... To take my energies in a positive direction yeah, uh, instead of a negative, I say, Well, if you can't eat bread, what's the next cool thing out there to eat? And I think that's the thing to point to people and say, If you like to cook, you know, and it's a part of your life, look to this exciting venue. Learn how to cook with uh, coconut flowers and almond flowers. Um, you know, if, if your body's able to handle that, just keep your mind open.
0: Right. Make uh, them, to And that. make them compatible to, with your own lifestyle. Yeah.
1: yeah. And it's been hilarious, um, some of the things that we've made, though, that we put in front of the big time grain eaters. I think the biggest thing, is a fathead pizza, is a keto recipe. And I'll put these out as crackers, and, you know, the regular grain eaters will, will empty the plate. I'll say, hey, wait a minute, guys, let's put it on, you know, and they'll say, oh, sorry, they taste good. You know, <laughs> right. It's a, it's a pretty good kick that you can show
0: people that, you know, you're making great tasting food still. How much weight have you lost to this? point
1: i was the last week um i hit 190 so i'm hit i'm at that 50 50 pounds that's great uh, area
0: congratulations so
1: that's my, great. My, target, my target is 185 but i don't know if that'll happen i know when the school year starts exercise time that's that's the biggest challenge and luckily i'm on my feet most of the day so that's just a, a nice uh exercise regimen that you're in when you're less weight my god it's body says i want to exercise more
0: <laughs> i you've given some of this uh, if you could in a sentence or two what advice would you give to people who might be on the road of uh, pre patient zero barney rubble status
1: find a physician that is willing to look at you know the functionality of your decisions and you know don't get lumped into uh, just listening to that, that this one doctor has only one way keep your mind open Take a look at these alternative diets. It's remarkable just when you start to take a look at these, some of these people's journeys, they were very much like what, what I was.
0: So uh, I, th- I think that the, there's two things in there. First of all, you, you, were, you were a person who said you hadn't been to a physician in years before you had this problem. Get to right. know a physician, get to know a physician well, get to know a physician you're comfortable with and who's gonna work with you, I think, was one piece of advice.
1: Yeah, and I, I think, you know, don't be afraid to switch to a position. If one guy is not answering your question, you know, and he doesn't feel comfortable in going his path and say, okay, fine, I'm, you know, you're a free agent. and You, you can find a physician that's willing to, uh, to to be open-minded and to listen to this new lifestyle that you're going for. You should do it. That's the biggest thing, and I think a lot of doctors now are, are willing to, you know, just to listen. Okay. and say, wow, I don't have to prescribe you all these crazy medicines for you to survive.
0: And the second big takeaway is lifestyle changes and specifically eating good, wholesome food is the best medicine. Yes, and, and food tastes better.
1: <laughs> it taste to come back. Yes. And uh, a tremendous addiction to wonderful fermented vegetables, slaws,
0: krauts, kimchi, just a total addiction to them. And in fact, that's the uh, perfect thing to focus on. First of all, when you're uh, leaving a hospital, your gut biome, due to antibiotics and just the stress itself, gets really out of whack. When you're changing the composition exactly. of your diet, the, the, for example, the way you did, the, the gut biome has to adjust from digesting a lot of carbohydrates to digesting a lot of proteins. Uh, mm-hmm. and so that changes the composition as well. And so adding the probiotic foods on top of it helps smooth that adjustment, helps restore the, like, the flora. Thank you for coming on to this podcast. Anything you want to say or uh, promote or anyone you want to shout out before we close this call? i
1: love to promote my friends in Columbus, Crazy Trout, um, based in Columbus, Ohio, and then my friends up in Stowe, Vermont at Sober Mesa. We
0: love this Okay, and with any luck, you and I will do a little experiment with uh, some of those, and uh, that will be part of the show, and I will also put links to uh, both the Crazy Crowd and Sober Mesa people on the show notes. Tim, Barney, Patient Zero, thank you very much for being on this podcast. really appreciate your time and being uh, so open about your ordeal, uh, and I believe that uh, this will help other people greatly, so thanks again. Let me thank Dave. Once again, I want to thank Barney for sharing his very personal story. I also want to thank Julie, Robin, Bob, Gail, Mr. Big, Eve, Jen, Tucker, Elise, Emma, Elizabeth, Eleanor, everyone at Lexington Junior High, and the boys at Phi Kappa Psi for helping Barney have the motivation to make big, important changes in his life. Important, but still compatible with his tastes and his lifestyle. Barney chose a path that emitted grains and is heavily meat, fat, and veggie oriented. He likely could achieve the same weight loss and lipid panel progress if he went vegan and continued with cold grains. But that just isn't him. If you're looking for motivation to make big changes that are compatible with your taste and lifestyle, contact me at karmasensewellness.com. But for now, let's do a fermented food scavenger hunt right after this message. Barney, who you met in the previous segment, and I went on a fermented food scavenger hunt. We each went out trying to look for some of the funkiest fermented foods we could find. At this point, we're going to take a look at what we found, describe it, taste it, and rate it for you. So, Barney, what did you find?
1: Well, we have an outstanding lineup. I have um, a couple, two new that we have we have the fermentation girl which is just an old standard reliable sauerkraut and then the Uzuke, which uh pickled beets dulce and kale some of the other the other standbys that we have in front of us uh today we have crazy kraut uh the crazy kimchi um we have a sober mesa kimchi uh that we brought that from vermont and that's a well, you know just an outstanding uh, enterprise that they've got going on uh, out there with their fermentation process and then um One of the old standbys that you like also, Bubby's. Uh, We have a little uh, Bubby's sauerkraut uh, today.
0: And what I've been able to find is something from Wild Brine. They're out of Northern California, and it's curry-based cauliflower sauerkraut salad. Wild Brine got started just as a nonprofit organization that was preserving food so that uh, rather than throwing it out they could use it to help feed the farm workers in Northern California. And I have some Sunja's medium spicy kimchi and this is a traditional Korean kimchi uh, made by a Korean family in in Vermont. And then finally I have uh, Russian kraut from Gathered Threads, that's a local entity here in Virginia. And interesting thing about this one is that uh, it's fermented uh, fruit and vegetables, so it includes some cranberry in there, and uh, I suspect it will be nice. So at this point, uh, check out a couple of our uh, selections. Uh, Barney, why don't you pick one? Take a look at it, and if you could describe it in one word, what word would you use? Tell me which one you have first.
1: This is ozuke. And it is purple.
0: And that was the beet and uh, the beet based one?
1: Yes, the beet's dolphin kale. Now
0: why don't you take a big strong whiff of that and and tell me what you smell.
1: Mm. A deep brine, um you can tell a, just from the nasal part of it a, a huge uh, pickling type of uh uh odor. When we first opened it we did get a a good little bubbling.
0: Okay. So uh carbonation. Yeah. you want to go ahead and uh, take a bite and tell me how it tastes? And if you can do that in one word, that'd be great.
1: Mm. Huge mouthfeel, wonderful sourness, um, and then the sweetness from the beet.
0: Is there sweetness coming kind of an aftertaste?
1: Sweetness aftertaste.
0: Now, on a scale of 1 to 10, could you rate it in its funkiness, where 10 is George Clinton from Parliament, oh. funkadelic, funky? Five is George Costanza from Seinfeld, Funky, and one is George McFly from Back to the Future, Funky.
1: I'd go probably a, a six, little oh. little more than a Costanza.
0: A little more than a Costanza, but not a, a George Clinton. Okay, great. No,
1: definitely not, not p
0: Okay, uh, I'm going to take a turn. Uh, I'm going to take a turn with my uh, traditional kimchi. I'm gonna go with red is the sight. I hate to depend on the color, but I'm gonna go with red. And when I take a big whiff, the smell is garlic. And now I'm taking a bite. Mm. Yeah, garlic, chili, and uh, definitely, Tickles the tongue with uh, with bubbles. I'm going to give that a seven. Okay, well, you want to try one more? Sure. Which one you pick?
1: We're going to try the fermentation girl. And I guess the side of it, it looks like a standard white prout. So, yeah, definitely white.
0: And uh, how does it smell to you?
1: Wonderfully sour. Sour, sour, sour.
0: And let's go with your tastes. Hmm. Punk sour, man.
1: Awesome.
0: <laughs> Making you pucker?
1: Definitely. Definitely pucker peafunk. <laughs> okay.
0: Well, and I have to say about the Sunja kimchi that I that I had just had one bite of, I'm still tasting it. It's got a nice mm-hmm. burn in my throat. Um <laughs> and the garlic is strong and uh, I'm gonna guess I'm not gonna get a good night kiss tonight. <laughs> not that I'm looking for one from you, but Okay, I'm uh, I am now going to try the Wild Brine Curry Cauliflower Sauerkraut. And it looks like relish. It's green, but it looks kind of like relish. And I can definitely smell the curry. That's a, a nice, mellow uh, curry flavor. I'll give it a... a a three on the funkiness scale. Is there anything else you want to say on the uh, fermented food scavenger hunt? Oh, I'll tell you what. There's there's just an outstanding
1: one to find every week here in Ohio. And my friends at Sober Mesa um, will soon be making uh, their older fermented products available for shipment coming up in the next month here. Um, they don't ship much in the uh, summer. So when they get cooler temperatures, then they feel confident about getting products uh, nationwide.
0: Okay, and I'll have a link to their site on the show notes as well. Thanks. Yeah, there's a great variety of, of uh, fermented foods out there. They're great for our gut. They taste good, too. They, they uh, range from uh, not funky at all, like uh, just a plain old sauerkraut, to uh, uh, highly funky. And uh, I suggest you go out and, and experiment. So thanks, Barney. Thank you. And so ends another episode of The Foodcast. If you enjoyed this show, please write a review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever mediocre podcasts are published. And share the wealth with your buds. I encourage suggestions for new topics, or ask me questions, even if they're off-topic, and I'll try and get to them in the show. Because in the end, when it comes to this show's position on the funkiness scale, I think we all win if it's a George Clinton and not a George McFly.